everyone. I'm Matt Grunler. And I'm Dr. Mijan Salitho-Bias. And today on K-12 Bar Chat, the podcast, we're speaking with Connected Arts Network's members, Edwin Brathwaite and Tina Marone, about the role of the arts and cultural responsive education. I'm so honored to be working um, alongside Mijan uh, once again. And so Mijan, we're super excited to have you and I'm excited to have you co-hosting with us yet again, because we seem to have lots of fun and uh, seem to pull out a whole bunch of conversations. So. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> I'm excited to be here too. I'm always excited to be back with you. Uh, for me, it's less than a week back from my Fulbright Specialist Award to Ecuador's Universidad de las Artes, where I got to dive deep and mentor the university in their new pedagogical model and curriculum design. So I'm just like super over the moon about today's <laughs> episode. <laughs> it's right. Yeah, it's like right where my heart is um, uh -huh. in this moment. And so, Matt, I'm wondering, could you introduce us to our guest for the podcast? Absolutely. Um, you know, I can't wait to talk with you more about that, uh, that adventure, because that sounds pretty amazing. So, um, but our two guests that we have today uh, is Edwin Brathwaite. And is that correct, right, Edwin? Just want to make sure. Okay. Um, and he is a dance instructor from Meyer Levin School of Performing Arts uh, in New York City Public Schools. And Tina Barone, who is a theater instructor from JC Drumgool School uh, in NYC Public Schools as well. So we welcome you both to our podcast and um, just wanted to start with Edwin to just kind of tell us a little bit about, um, about who you are and just kind of let our listeners know a little bit about who you are. Hi, Matt. Hi, John. I'm Edwin Brathwaite. Thank you so much for having me on today. I have been a middle school teacher for 22 years in the public school system. I teach both science and dance. And this year, I'm also doing Spanish. So I'm really <laughs> excited about it. I get the opportunity to practice another language. So I, I really enjoy doing that. I work in Brooklyn, New York. I've been in the same school for almost 22 years. That um, 22 year anniversary is coming up next January. So I'm really excited about that. And um, I've had the opportunity to do this work that we're going to talk about over the years. It's really helped support who I am as an artist and who I am as an educator in the classroom. So I'm really excited to um do this discussion with you and hear what my colleagues have to say and be here with Tina to also share um, the knowledge with each other. So thank you for having me. Wow. 22 years at one at one campus. That is honorable and impressive all at the same time. Yes. So. Middle school. Middle oh, school. Yeah. And middle one school. I mean, school. I teach middle school and I've I've been doing that now five years of just middle school. So I I, I applaud you. Um, thank you. Tina, we would love for you to kind of tell us tell us a little bit about you and um, some things that our listeners would uh, like to hear, I think. So, Hi, um, I'm Tina Barone. I have been teaching theater for the last 20 years in New York City and Staten Island, I guess. Um, I've worked in three different public schools. 
Um, I also worked after school for some time um, in elementary school setting and high school setting and middle school setting. So I've worked with all the age ranges and I just have a passion for theater. I have a background in theater performance um, and I have a master's in education, uh, both from Wagner College in Staten Island, New York. And I still direct locally and mm -hmm. perform locally um, in the tri-state area. Um, I guess that's a little bit about me. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I'm remembering your story now, actually. It's all coming back, <laughs> Tina. All right, I'm ready for tonight. Um, I want to know, both of you, Edwin, Tina, your origin stories, they both have a lot of depth in different ways and passion. And now that you've shared sort of your your background, I want to know what does cultural responsiveness look like to each of you as an educator? Edwin, can you, uh, yeah, share share a little bit about that? And then I'll ask Tina. Okay. Um, you know, when I was asked that question years ago, I thought about it and it seemed pretty straightforward to me because for me, it was being able to honor who you were and who you are working with in the classroom space and just in general in your community. And when I first heard about it, it was a little strange for me because I thought, hey, isn't this about um, humanity and, and basic ways that we treat each other and engage with each other? But as I go through this work, I'm getting deeper into the understanding of how to support my students culturally and support them within the classroom, how to help them develop that sense of voice, something that um, I, as a child, had to sometimes feel that it was muted based on my own cultural upbringing in the Caribbean and Barbados. And to be able to now give my students the opportunity to have a voice where they can um, be a part of the culture and the environment that we create together. So that has evolved for me. And for me, it's, it's, it's really getting to know who is sitting in front of you, next to you, aside you, around you. It's a journey into self-knowledge. It's a journey for our children. And I just want to say that, for example, today, my students, some of them just went to high school and they came back and they were trying to work on the balance of the culture we developed in the classroom where they had great voice and, and, and they were able to work to a certain level to now where they seen that in, in high school, that they're not quite at that level where they're now seeing that they're starting again at the beginning and having to balance that and being able to still support them in that practice. So for, for me, um, just really engaging them and seeing each other for who they are. I think that's that's key. key really seeing people for who they are and helping students to understand that as well. I have to ask an immediate follow-up question and preface it by saying that I did something somewhat inspired by being the co-host of this program. When I was in Ecuador, I 
I decided I'm doing private ballet classes. That was the creative practice for me as a girl that loved me. I loved ballet, ballet loved me. So I'm just, and it was exquisite. I have never had a dance education encounter like this that was so affirming. Part of it, I think was just, it was Ecuador. Part of it, it was a private class just between me and the instructor. And another part is the fact that this instructor is exquisite. She's just, she's top. I'm wondering though, for you, because dance education is your thing, how do you weave cultural responsiveness with dance with your learners in your classroom? I wanna get like a little bit deeper. Okay, um, for example, it's in, for me, building that culture begins with from the time they come into the classroom. Um, I have to get a sense of who they are. I have to get a sense of their feeling, how they're doing today. Um, I'm reading their body language. I'm engaging them um, in that way. I am also allowing them to engage with me on the levels that they currently are at. I'm allowing students to have to say to me, um, why are we doing this? And to be able to engage in that discussion as to why we are, how is it important, really get into what's critical, building a cultural practice that allows the students, you know, through discussion, through um, decision-making processes that they can engage and feel a part of what is important. And oftentimes, I've met students in my classroom who come into the building who are, you know, I may not teach them in dance, but they seek me out because of the culture that I've developed within the classroom that now spills into the community. Currently, we're getting ready to do a, a trip and so many students, some of them I, I don't teach, want to be a part of that culture, right? So it's making them feel a part and it's weaving them in everything that I am doing, giving them the opportunities, let them know that, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing in the unit, or here is what the unit is about. How can we as a community develop a way where it meets our specific needs where we are and take us to somewhere else? And that's through listening to them. You have to listen to your students. You have to you, first of all, as the educator, have to know your heart and who you are. And if you don't know who, where your roots are and where you're rooted, you're not going to be successful because it's really about being human, I find. Being human, listening, sometimes being quiet. The students just want to talk. Oftentimes, um, sometimes I don't have them for class and they want to come in and they just want to talk and just listening. You know, also helping them when they need that, helping them when they need that. Um, recently, I had a student who um, grandmother died and he he was just not himself. He was not um, taking care of himself and he was going through his mourning process. And every day I would say to him, are you OK? Are you OK? And eventually he opened up to me. And when he opened up to me, being able to acknowledge that I heard him, 
and to support him how best I could so that he felt an acknowledge, the acknowledge and a sense of purpose. And that's the key in for me in really dealing with this work. It's not just about me. As a leader, I have to be able to listen and I have to be able to support them despite some of the things that of my belief practices. I have to be able to support them where they are and help them to continue to, you know, being that of a medical student in the past and having done physician assistant, what is the process? First, do no harm. And for me, that is also part of the practice in supporting them. Beautiful. Thank you, Tina. I have the same question to you, uh, more or less. It's what does cultural responsiveness look like to you as an educator in your classroom space? The CRSE in the neighborhood and where I teach has a very negative connotation. I'm going to put that out there right away. And so when we were first championed to do this work, I'm going to say championed because I believe it's champion work. Uh, and uh, I was a little afraid <laughs> to dive into it because I didn't know how to do it in such a way where I wasn't going to get a lot of pushback from parents, to be honest, not my administration. They're all about it. And so I remember we were doing um, an after-school playwriting group from an outside organization was coming in to work with our students, and they said that the they said that the focus of the playwriter would be about identity. And I got about twenty emails from parents saying, "What do you mean identity? What are you going? What does that mean?" And I was like, "Well, it just means we're going to try to get kids to you know understand who they are better." <laughs> you know, I think that that's as Edwin put it so well. It's like how do we get kids to understand who they are and their place in this world and how it relates to others around them? And if we can create a culture of empathy that isn't existing currently, that is my where I start the work from. How do I get kids to understand who they are and how that relates to others? And if it can create some kind of culture of understanding, then we have a place to start from. Because I, I find that when I ask kids the simplest questions, on a th even on like last year, for example, like on a third grade level, uh, you know, we we're working all on pantomime and what character traits do we have best represent us? And I asked them, well, what kind of person are you? And they couldn't tell me. And to me, that was very telling. I said, well, are you a kind person? Are you helpful? Like, like, are you, you know, and then even though they work on character traits as part of the third grade curriculum, like in ELA, like they could not take onus of that. And so, or then they would say, oh, well, I'm athletic. I said, oh, okay. So where does that show up in your daily life? And they were like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> like trying to have them even pair that so that they could create art with it because art imitates life and trying to make them understand how artists use their own life as inspiration to create art was somewhere where I decided that the CRS or the heart of CRS should live in my classroom, right? I think that that was how I was going to buy the have the buy-in, right? If I was going to explore work and take risks of and and use work of artists that maybe the kids were not familiar with that 
was going to explore maybe deeper themes or or maybe harsher themes or or things that you know that would open up the conversation to the world outside of their little neighborhood bubble i could do it in that way and so that's kind of where i started to my surprise i have not gotten knockwood one parent complaint and the work has gotten better and deeper and yes it takes more time but it's time well spent if you want my honest opinion and my units are so much better since i started writing them using Goldie Muhammad's framework. I mean, I've even showed my fifth graders clips of fat ham to use as models of adaptation <laughs> uh, of Shakespeare because we're writing an adaptation of Midsummer. So I, I think that it's all in how you set up why you're using and choosing to use and how you're introducing and what is for, why to celebrate it, for the joy of, for the creation of, for the amplification of the process of creating art. And so how that our life experiences are what help us to create the best versions of ourselves and help reflect the humanity in others. And so that's kind of where I, I live. Oh my goodness. Wow. Um, so much wisdom dropped by both of you. Um, and I think I could listen to you talk, both of you listen to you talk about that all day. Um, you know, Tina, that really leads into one of our other questions, you know, now that you, you brought, you brought up this good point about cultural responsiveness and what that looks like, but <clears throat> There, there's a difference between being culturally responsive and culturally relevant. And you brought up a good point about, you know, parents getting, getting a lot of pushback as an educator um, on the, on the idea. But I also know it's kind of a two-part question. You know, what, what is the difference between being relevant and being responsive? And also you brought up another good point about your units and the the way that we're balancing our arts skill um, along with trying to be culturally relevant. And so if you could maybe just explain a little bit um, or at least your understanding of the difference between relevant and responsive um, and a little bit about the the use of that through your through your units and your you know being culturally relevant. So I think it's in the way you choose material. It's not just like, oh, well, you know, it's Native American Heritage Month. So I'm going to pick this, you know, piece by a Native American because it happens to be Native American Heritage Month. And so we're going to work on this today. Right. Um, me deciding to use um, a poem by Maya Angelou and talking about how her life struggle has influenced the way she approaches her art making. And then like a song by Pasek and Paul who speaks to the struggles of people who are often like bullied and, and put down in life, but they don't care and they're gonna rise above it has a very similar, right? A very similar um, feel to the way Maya Angelou's poem, it's like the same theme. And so like those two themes 
like kind of go hand in hand. They write stories about like the underdog and how like those two go hand in hand and those two pieces speak to the work I'm doing in third grade. And it has, you know, it's responsive to what I'm trying to get the kids to understand and how they create art and make art, right? That their life experiences and the struggles they go through in life should help them influence how they make their art and tell stories about what they've been through, right? It's how you use the work to help the kids understand how their life experience should influence their work, right? And we're celebrating artists of color to show how their work should help influence others create works of art, art. not just because, oh, it happens to be this month and let's just throw it in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Edwin, how about you? I mean, what is your opinion or thoughts on the differences between being culturally responsive versus culturally relevant? And then how does that impact you as an arts educator, you know, to make sure that you're ensuring those, those art skills and, but still being culturally relevant? Okay, so first of all, I think it's important to define those two R's. And um, for me, um, relevant has to do with timely. Is it um, current? You know, it takes us um, to look at what's currently happening within our communities. Um, what are we celebrating? Also, how does that connect with that of the past and the future? And what role does the art that we're doing relates to th those ideas, right? Because for that relevance, we really want it to make sure that it has a sense of time and currency in reference to that. So for me, being able to be relevant is, as Tina mentioned, you know, we're looking at a specific cultural practice during a time period to support that in our curriculum. You know, um, when it's Black History Month, you know, doing ideas and supporting artists um, from the African-American um, community, you know, engaging in those practices. That means students learning about specific dance styles related to that students engaging in unit practices regarding that as well. So those are some of the things that come for me when I think about in reference and how I relate to that of relevance. When it comes to response, this is engaging and igniting. And for me, the key is how do I do that as an educator in dance? And these hooks that I'm building to engage my students in the work, to ignite their thought processes as they begin to do the work, right? So what are my hooks? What, what are my entry points? What are those things that I'm giving them to really ignite that practice that allows them in that criticality to respond in a way that is going to be not only beneficial for themselves, but also for the community in which they live, right? To be able to look at things that we often don't look at within um, our own educational practices and really say, hey, why are we doing this? 
How are we doing this? And really coming to solutions. So for me, thinking about those two, relevance and response, relevance have to do with, for me, time has to do with that time and, 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 and building between that of the current, the past and the present and that connection. And response is really the idea of igniting through that of our choices in the work that we offer our students in the curriculum that we um, also provide them with in the entry points that we engage them in. For me, that's the difference between the two. Until I heard both of you, I couldn't come up with the language to describe what I just felt maybe a week or two ago in one of the ballet lessons where Yelena is her name. The instructor just kept saying, ojos, ojos, eyes, eyes. And she was saying, look at yourself in the mirror because I was hung up. You know, I've had two kids last ballet class I had was 25 years ago. And I'm like, Lord, what, when did this happen to my arms? And like, whose stomach is that? You know, I don't have. I know. I ears. understand. Yep. It I understand. It was frightening and distracting. That's, yes, that's exactly <laughs> it. And COVID didn't help either. So guess what? So, so guess what? So I am with you. I am with you right there. But all she kept saying to me, you know, was keep your eyes on yourself, on your own eyes. What I have to tell you is that out of all of those distractions of looking everywhere else except straight into my own eyes, finally, she just came right in front of me and she just stared in my own eyes and she was like, you've got this. We're going to pick it up from beginning. Focus. Your body remembers, I promise. And she lifted her arms. And for the first time, I was like, wait a minute, I'm not looking at a 16 year old girl this is a grown woman her arms have seen COVID too you know what I mean? <laughs> so there's something about the connection and the entry points I'm going to echo that those two points yeah that we just heard Edwin say connection and entry points that make all of the difference in the world and so I'm wondering that was a long-winded way of sharing, I'm wondering what professional learning each of you have had around this topic and where you draw your inspiration and tangible support to create classroom environments and curriculum around this. Wow. Okay. Mm. I guess it's me. I draw this inspiration from, first of all, for who I am as a person and, and based on my value and respect for others. I think that's one of the very first things because um, knowing who I am and being comfortable with who I am um, support a lot of the work that we do within the classroom. And just recently I saw one of my former students and she said to me, she's now um, working in security and she came into the building and she said to me, you have always been authentic you're the first authentic person that I know and it starts with really knowing who you are and understanding that and then what you do within the space what what you bring to your community 
And with that, I draw what I'm able to do and experience in the classroom. I also draw that from the work, working with my colleagues, working with my colleagues who are so awesome. You know, just when I think that I have figured out something, um, they come with something else and pull the mat from under me. And as I'm falling, they catch me. And I'm able to now take that and apply it into a new way where I can once again reflect and check myself and figure out where I am and then engage again with the community and support the students that are in front of me and my colleagues, right? So I draw a lot of the work from doing also running my classroom as a lab, one of the wonderful things. You know, I also teach science. And one of the wonderful things that I found that as an art educator doing um, research, action research, has really helped to inform my practice. And it connects with my science mind a bit in the classroom because I am able to draw from what I'm seeing, what I'm observing, think about it, and then have discussion about it with my students as to, is this really what we're seeing? Is this really what we experience in the dance classroom? Um, how do we make it match you and your unique body? Right? How do we engage students in understanding that? What are you bringing to the table to our class community? And one of the things I often ask my students when they first come into my classroom, what can you contribute to the classroom? Right? It, the dance classroom, what can you contribute? What can you find and work on and own that makes you unique? but support the community. And I think for me, that is, those are just some of the inspiration. Those are some of the responses that ignite who I am in this work, right? And the relevance is in the time that I process and reimagine and build and share my students and the community in this work. So those are things that I draw my inspiration from and all my mentors, you know, those who have seen something in me that I didn't see in myself, you know, and we, I want to give that to my students as well because oftentimes they don't have that. And that is what I draw from. I draw from my community. I draw from everything around me because, and I embody it, and I sometimes reimagine it into something that is challenging, courageous, daring, and exciting for the students and the community in which I work. Tina, I have the same question for you. My room is the come as you are room. Like you could be wherever you want to be. You can identify however you want to identify. 
I in my room, I often tell the kids, let your freak flag fly. Like whoever you are is okay by me. Like I once had a kid tell me they want to identify as a plastic bag. I said, sweetheart, that's fine by me. You be whoever you like. It's fine. No judgment. Like I I don't care. Whatever makes you happy is fine by me. You know, you ain't hurt nobody. Like as long as you're happy, that's all I care about. Right. So I grew up wanting to be understood myself because I always felt like I wasn't. That is the environment that I like to foster in my own room. I say you don't always you don't have to be best friends. You don't have to get along with everybody. You don't have to like, you know, I, I don't expect us to be besties like and we may disagree. That's OK. You know, we might not always all get along all the time. Like, that's OK. But at least we just need to understand one another. Like, at least understand. And we could be different and we could disagree, but at least we could have an understanding. Like, if we can at least come to the table with that, that's that's enough. I think that that's kind of where the heart of this work lives. And so maybe that's why I took to it and ran with it. Maybe that's why I'm not afraid of it. So a lot of my colleagues are afraid of it. I'll be honest. They're afraid of it. They're afraid of the parents. They're afraid to try if we all could just understand one another a little bit better, like it would be a much better place. We'd be in a much better place. And it's okay to have differing opinions. That doesn't make us bad people. It doesn't make us hate one another. It's just everybody's got opinions. I think that's kind of where this lives. And I, I had the privilege over the summer to work with my colleagues in the Cannes Summer, the Cannes Summer Institute. We did unit planning where we got to work with another colleague in the field in our discipline area to develop units and a lot of time like brainstorming and bouncing ideas off of one another and like really putting it down on paper. I mean, without that think partner, sometimes I think it's very difficult because in our buildings, even though I have other art forms in my building, like I have a dance teacher, we have a band teacher, we have visual arts. Sometimes it's hard for them to see kind of what we do um, in our art form. And so being able to have that think partner was a huge help to me, even just on the content part, maybe because they didn't have training in the Goldie Muhammad framework, but they just to have someone to bounce the content ideas off of was a huge help. I really thrive on having that community myself. And so having that community of theater educators has always been a huge help for me. So this past I don't know how long we've been in this, Edwin, 14 years or something. Having having this community Maria Palmer created so many years ago has been like a lifeline for me. And so whatever trainings come up, I take them. It's just been monumental in my professional growth and my pedagogy. And doing the action research has helped me a ton too, because I've learned so much by doing it. It's really helped me craft my units, change them, revamp them. I am not teaching the same way I taught two years ago. I'm not doing the same units I did two years ago. I, I'm definitely not. Like if you ask me what I did five years ago, I'll go, what was that? I didn't, I don't know. I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> and I know a lot of people who do the same thing year after year after year. I, nope, not even close. I, I think that this has change the game for me in terms of like how I approach material and how I find new ways to make new entry points for students and how I build off their knowledge and interests where I maybe, or even their cultural backgrounds too.
that I haven't done before. So I, I think this has been very, very helpful. And I'm good at sitting back and letting the kids take a lead. That's like one of my stronger suits, I, I would say. I'm good at I'm good at it. I know when to go, okay. Some people don't like their language control. I'm all right with that. You know, I agree with you. Yeah. It's hard to release control in the classroom. Um, I see my colleagues often sometimes struggle with that. And I think the arts space allows for that so naturally, right? It just allows for that releasing practice. It just really allows for that because it's so a part of the process. And you're right, just doing this work. I mean, I've gotten tidbits of information like rubrics, checklists, how to create all this kind of stuff from partners and friends who were doing this work with me. You know, I remember um, you sharing a rubric with me, you know, and how I could take that and adapt that to to a dance classroom. You know, these are the things that were areas that I felt that I was not able to be um, as strong in. I had colleagues who, as I said, when I was about to slip on that rug would catch me and say, hey, this is how it's done. This is how I'm doing this. Why don't you consider this way? And that's the community that I often want to come to because it really just fuels who I am as artist. I realize I'm not one that can stay in a classroom forever. I mean, just stay in the classroom, don't do any trips, don't do anything of the sort. I need to be out there. I need to communicate with the community because for me, it's a well that I can also go to a wealth of knowledge that I can go to. And when I am not at my best, I can drink from that well and I can come back healthier and more in tune and more supportive to the community that I'm in. Don't know what to say. It's a good thing we have a script because otherwise if I had to just try to wing this right now, it would be really difficult. Thank you both. Those responses, I mean, I almost feel like we can end it right there and that would be like a perfect place to end it. But of course we cannot. But, you know, as we come to the downward side of our of our conversation as we start wrapping this up with our last two questions. Something that we've learned from listening to these CAN podcasts and having these conversations with other arts uh, educators is that there's always been a mentor or a teacher that they would credit with with inspiring their their decision to become a teacher. Um, we always love to give a shout out to kind of to that person and naming that that mentor or that educator that kind of really inspired us to be that person. And I would love to kind of start it out with Edwin. Okay, um, just let me say that I, in my family, I come from line of educators. My uncle um, is a university professor at the University of West Indies. He's now emeritus there. Um, another uncle, my brother's, my I'm sorry, my father's um, brother as well. They both are. Um, is a teacher of chemistry in Barbados. So um, the lineage is there. But I've had amazing people who have really just taking me under their wings. Um, I have a 
really great college. And someone I will always remember was um, Louisa Nurse, who um, is no longer with us. But when I was growing up, she just told me, you can do anything you want to. And she guided me through that process. She allowed me to dance, model, just showed me how to engage in the arts and what it meant and could do for you, you know, growing up in Barbados. And then moving here, um, having a mentor like, um, who's also um, not with us anymore, um, Paulette McPherson, who, when I came, moved here, and I started college at Bronx Community College, shout out to Bronx Community College. Um, she really took me under her wings and she was an adjunct professor there and she saw my skill set. She had the dance program. I became president for the time I was there. And every evening after my session in class, she would drive me to Harlem School of the Arts where I could develop my skill set as an, a dancer. And, you know, it was things she gave of her heart for this person she had met in her dance classroom, right? And for me, I often remember that, you know, my mom herself being my first teacher, you know, often taught me of how to engage you know, and also my dad to engage with people, teaching me how to support others. And there's so many other people I can mention, name drop. Um, Carol Lonnie, who is an amazing friend um, and colleague in this work. Um, Tracy Hinton Peterson has also been there as well. Jerlene Blake, just um, all these people helped me to really think about what excellence looks like, you know, and from different aspects of my life. Oh my goodness! Wow, um, Tina, what about you? Who are who have been some of your mentors uh, to help guide you along in being a an arts educator? Oof. Um, so last time I spoke about my high school drama teacher who took me under her wing when I was like an art, I was a nursing student too, say, strangely enough. And uh, I graduated with my license, practical nurse license from high school, and I was going to go be a nurse. And I did my clinical rounds and I was like, I can't do this. And um uh, it was too much. I was too emotional. And like, I, I'm a very emotional person. Like I cry about everything and I just couldn't do it. It was too, I couldn't be around all the sick people and not get emotional about it. Like I could not take my work home. And I decided that I was going to um, audition for acting programs. Cause I was doing theater at the same time. Hello. You know, I still talk to my high school theater teacher. She and I were still friends. So like, that's kind of cool. Um, and I had, I, I sent her this podcast, the, the podcast we did before, the first time. But I, I'm going to talk about my college acting professor, John Jamiel, who worked under Uta Hagen. And um, he, he said one of the most profound things to me that like, I don't think have ever left, has ever left me, um, ever. He said, always keep it honest and always keep it humble. And I, I don't think it's ever left me. I don't think I knew what acting was until I met him. 
I mean, I knew what it was to be on stage, but knowing what acting, the craft of acting was, I don't think I knew what it was until I met him. Um, it changed my life for the better because I fell in love with the art of acting. And there are so many misconceptions, I think, about what it is and the craft of it that people don't get. Um, and so I remember when I first moved to the school that I'm in now and I got observed for the first time um, by my assistant principal and she let, and I was with a group of first graders and she, you know, she watched the lesson and she left and she said, you're actually teaching them how to act. And I said, well, yeah, <laughs> what did you think I was going to do? You know? And so like, I was actually teaching them acting skill and she was like, I guess they hadn't had that in previous theater teachers that they had had. And so I have a deep passion for the transformative ability of the art form that it can have because it had a, such a profound um, impact on my life. And so look at me, say I get teary eyed thinking about it. Like I can't, I'm, I'm a cry. I'm a cry. Thing. Um, and so I, I have, I have a love for him and I, and when he retired from my college, I spoke at his retirement party. And like, I could barely get through the speech because I was like a mess. He was the personification for me of what a giving and tough push you in the right way mentor should be. And so the testament to me of a good teacher is in the success of their students. And he's the reason why I feel that way. I see so many so many of us are successful that left his hands like in one way or another, like in, in, the, in the field in some way or another. And like, I'm grateful every day that I get to do something in the field that I went to school for, you know, like this is, I mean, maybe I'm not on Broadway, but that doesn't matter to me. I am teaching what I love every day. Like, and I'm still involved in theater every single day. Not many people can say that. And I'm making a living doing it. Right. Um, not many people could say that because the business is so tough. Tina, I'm so glad that Laura is not here because she would just be sobbing right at this moment. So believe me, there is nothing wrong with that. Um, and it's always amazing to hear arts educators and what what life skills they teach you, not just the arts that they teach you. And so... I thank you both for that uh, and talking about all of these amazing mentor people. So I'm now going to pass it on to Mijan and hopefully she's not crying right now, but I'm going to pass it on to Mijan and let her ask you our very last question. Our last question, we've got this ritual. We've changed it up a bit uh, this year. We want to know, I mean, we're at the edge. I'm at the edge of my seat. Where is the joy? What brings you, you know, there are all these difficulties and there's a fair share of negativity with the profession. We want to know what brings you joy in your teaching practice or throughout your day as an educator. Alternatively, if it's like, ah, you know, I really, I'm not feeling that question. Okay, fine. You could share a time when you've seen student joy in the classroom, where, where you've just, you've witnessed that pure bliss. Tina, what you got for us? The joy would be when I have a kid that's like 
nonverbal, won't get on stage in front of someone else. Like I find joy when all of a sudden they go, I want lines. Will you give me lines? That happened to me just yesterday. So like that was like the first time that has happened. So in a while. So like those are the moments that bring me joy. Edwin, where where have you witnessed joy or what has been a moment where you've truly understood, you know what, my teaching practice, this brings me joy? There are so many instances just hearing that. For me, one of the things is the joy in the perceived underdog in the classroom. You know, the odd kid. You know, one of the things I remember, um, one of my students coming in, she, she was a little heavy set. She couldn't do cartwheels. And, you know, some of the students started to snicker because they could do cartwheels and stuff like that. And, you know, I really um, had a discussion with them about that. And that young lady, not only in sixth grade, but throughout seventh and eighth grade year with me, was in every single dance because she was willing to just share her heart and take risk and just absorb like a sponge everything that was being offered. Um, that was a joy for me. And being able to advocate for these students who oftentimes we only see the final product. We don't see the growth that the students have made during that time process. You know, so people often say, well, why did you put that one on stage? Right. But I know the joy of what that student brings to that specific aspect and that specific movement idea. And because I know where it came from. And, and that's exciting. The joy of a mentor coming into my classroom and saying, you're a community builder. The joy in where you can have visitors and guests come into the classroom and your student wants to talk to the group to tell them how amazing you are as a, as a teacher and how, how you've impacted their life. You know, that was just last December, I had um, colleagues in my building for uh, into visitation and um, one of my male students came and he said, Miss Breath, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna talk to the guests. I wanna talk to the guests because you didn't um our class didn't get to engage with them. I want to talk to our guests. I said, okay. Um I'm thinking, okay, well at least you can come and get a bagel or some food or something. And and that was the interest. But he said hi and he introduced himself. I because I said, you know, introduce yourself and he did. And he shared his experience and how the dance class, you know, impacted him, um, not only dance-wise, but in his sports and in his academics. That for me was a sense of joy. You know, um, it was unexpected joy for me, but it was joy for him in the sense that he was able to share how he felt because of the classroom. You know, there's no way for me to wrap up <laughs> this entire episode. No. We heard <laughs> so many golden nuggets. But what I can tell you is this one thing. I only felt love. Mm -hmm. I heard a lot, but I yeah. only felt love. 
So I must say thank you. And even though I have to say goodbye, I wish that I wasn't saying goodbye. Don't we'll just say hello. <laughs> again, until we again. meet again. Until we meet again. <laughs> until we meet again. Thank you both. Um, and we have enjoyed this conversation. And uh, we can't wait till we actually connect in person, face to face. So thank you all. Thank, thank you so much. This has been really a great opportunity. Yes, thank you. Oh, I always say, oh, my goodness, but I just I don't know what else to say, because every time I'm just blown away and I know we had tears, we had laughing, we had pretty much had it all. So, um, you know, I just once again, just want to thank our listeners for joining us today and our teacher leaders from the Connected Arts Network, uh, Edwin and Tina. Um and I know that our guests shared some resources and there's a there's a tip sheet as well through the Connected Arts Network uh, on the idea of culturally responsive education. And those can all be found on our partner uh, partner's website of Davis Publications at davisart.com under the free resources and I, you know, I, I know that there are lots of people that listen, either have been listening or maybe that this is their first podcast. Um, but, you know, we're always looking for new ideas and new inspirations and always looking for, you know, new people to talk with and ideas to talk about. So if you have any suggestions or comments um, or even some info that you want to share with us, um, you know, we can or at least just reach out to us. We are on all the social medias. Um, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And uh, we even have an email address too. So if you want to, you know, do it the old school way of emails, we have the creativity DEPT at gmail.com. And uh, make sure to uh, subscribe and rate and review our podcast. And um, yeah, really, that's about it. So, you know, do all the things share it and we are wishing you a creative week this episode is developed in partnership between the national art education association the educational theater association the national association for music education the national dance education organization and new york city department of education's office of arts and funded by a grant from the u.s department of education's assistance for arts education program